And we're going to continue the study that we began a few weeks ago called It's Not About Us. And on an annual basis, we come back to deal with, uh, usually this time of year, um, as we get ready to launch into the new ministry year, and we kind of feel like uh, the ministry year begins in September. And as we get ready to do that, we want to make sure that we launch into it with a fresh understanding of why we're doing this in the first place. Because as you know, it's really easy to lose sight of the why behind anything that you do repetitively or with on, uh, in an ongoing way. And you just end up doing stuff and you're not sure why. And that's true with churches too. But I am not interested, and I don't think you are either, in just doing stuff. And just holding meetings, inviting people as as uh, you know, great as those occasions may be, they're not sufficient for me. I want to be on a mission from God. And I want to be on that mission with other people. You. <laughs> now, you may not reciprocate on that. You may not you know, want to be on this mission with me, but nonetheless, you're stuck with me. We come back to this to reaffirm those things that are bedrock to our understanding of who we are as a congregation. We cycle through our vision, our mission, and this year we're talking about our values. And we started a few weeks ago by looking at Luke chapter 5. Don't turn there. I asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to read from there in just a minute. But in Luke chapter 5, there is the record of an occasion where Jesus was speaking to a group of people gathered in a home. And it was so full of people wanting to hear what Jesus had to say and particularly wanting to figure out how they were going to trip him up in what he was saying. It was full of a lot of the religious leaders who were opposed to him. Nonetheless, the house was so full that some guys who had a paralyzed friend that they wanted to try to get to Jesus in case he could heal him couldn't get in. But they were so compelled with the desire uh, that to get their friend to Jesus and knowing that Jesus could do something for him, that they went up on the roof, tore the roof apart, and lowered their friend down, and uh, Jesus not only forgave the man his sins, but healed him. And from that passage, we uh, articulate four things that are um, part of our values, our deeply held values in Crossroads. And even though this message is called, it's, or, or this series is called, It's Not About Us, I've said this before, but for these weeks, it kind of is about us. We're talking about our church. Ultimately, though, this all points us back to Jesus, because this isn't about crossroads. Yeah, ultimately, it's about Jesus, about those he died to save, and those that he cares so much about. So anyway, the four things that we saw in that passage from Luke, that story in Luke, are these. We are captivated by the presence of the power of God to change lives. It says in that passage, when all these people are stuffed into the house to hear what Jesus says, there's a, it says the power of God was present to heal. The power of God was present to heal. But these people who are so fixated on just trying to figure out what Jesus was going to say and how they could use that against him were oblivious to the fact that God is intent on loving, saving, healing, fixing people. And that he is present to do so. And so we are captivated by that notion. We're also concerned, and we talked about this last week, for those in the circles of our life's influence. The people that God has caused, God has caused to be orbiting around our lives, that he has 
associated with us, associated with us for the purpose of us introducing them to his saving grace. And today we're going to talk about how out of that passage we are convinced of the value and blessing of doing church as a team. Those guys who got their friend to Jesus, they could not have done it alone. It took all of them to get their friend to Jesus. And we believe that there is value and blessing in doing church as a team, we're convinced of that. And then next week, we'll wrap this up by talking about how we are committed to employing creative approaches to ministry. Talk about creative. Tearing the tiles off the roof to lower your friend down to Jesus, that's out-of-the-box thinking. And we want to talk about next week how it is that we, as part of our congregational DNA, are committed to employing creative approaches to ministry. But I asked you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to begin reading at verse 12. Now I'm going to read a fairly lengthy section of scripture from verse 12 through verse 27. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about it. I'm going to along the way make a few points, but really all I'm after is to get this material into the background. And then we're going to focus in on one verse from Ephesians chapter 4, and then we're all going to head out of here and we're going to go places and do things for the rest of the day. Is that okay? 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one, one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Take a minute and just look at your body. You got a lot of parts there. Fingers, toes, ears, nose, legs, um, tonsils. Well, some of you don't have those anymore, but... <laughs> A lot of parts to you, but you are one person. When I greeted John this morning, I didn't greet John's eyes. I greeted John. When I, when I met uh, Elise and gave her a hug at the break this morning, I wasn't hugging Elise's hair, as beautiful as it is. I was giving a hug to Elise. We have lots of parts, but we are one body. And this passage says that so it is with Christ. He has a body made up of many parts. That's you and that's me. If you have come to faith in Christ, you are part of the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that as we make our way through this passage. Verse 13, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Some of you have thought, well, I'm just, you name it, I'm just the spleen of the body of Christ. <laughs> Nobody even knows what I am or what I do. And so I'm not really part of, I'm not really part of the body. This passage says that's not the way to think. In fact, it's an ungodly, unrighteous way of thinking. Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is the wrong way to think about your role in the body of Christ. Verse 16. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would 
be the hearing. If your whole body was an eye, you'd be Mike from Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> you'd be a monster. And so, heaven knows the church of Jesus Christ has at times been seen in monstrous proportions because there was a misunderstanding about the body of Christ. We promote one aspect of the body of Christ above uh, all else, and when that happens, it's not right. It's not good. It's not healthy. The body of Christ is made up of many members, and every member has a role to play. We're going to see that here. If the whole body were an eye, verse 17, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. You know, sometimes we think of God as having sort of, you know, just picked us up on the bargain table. You know, there's just a bunch of stuff there and it's cheap enough that, all right, I'll, I'll take you, you know. And that... He somehow has these, this idea uh, or thinks about you or me as, well, all right, I'll, I'll find some place for you. Mm-hmm. No. It says that he has selected us and placed us in his body according to his pleasure, according to his purpose, according to his design. Amen. Whatever you may think about yourself, when you start to talk about yourself as, well, I'm just you know, insignificant, I don't matter. You are not honoring God. For he has placed you in his body on purpose as he pleases. Verse 19. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Sometimes we get the idea that, you know, these big shots, the big names in Christendom are, are what the church is all about. And if we just had a whole lot of them, then we'd be doing really swell. But that's not, that's not the truth. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what's in God's heart. There's only one celebrity in the body of Christ. His name is Jesus. And the rest of us have a role to play that is unique and precious in every way. In fact, read verse 20 with me. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor, and our unpresentable parts have greater, excuse me, parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Ever stubbed your toe? It's not just your toe that suffers. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. As much as you may want to step out of that picture, when he says you, 
are part of the body of Christ. As much as you want to, may want to this morning, step out of that picture and says, he, she, they are the body of Christ. You don't get to. The word of God says, you are the body of Christ. You are a member in particular and, spec and specifically and individually called. Now, Ephesians chapter 4. So turn to uh, Ephesians 4, verse 16. We're going to spend the rest of our time this morning in that one verse and the things that we've just read. Let them form the backdrop or the background that I could hang a few things uh, on before we, we leave here today. And if we're going to read verse 16 of the book of Ephesians, a little book there in the New Testament, you have to read the last word in verse 15. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. And that last word of verse 15 is Christ. Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying or the building up of itself in love. I am so tired of observing the way that most of us, the small life that most of us live. I'm tired of seeing it in my own life. I'm tired of seeing it in you. I'm tired of seeing it in my neighbors. We live such small lives when God has called us to so much more. So much more. We settle for holding down a decent job and bringing home a paycheck. We settle for making sure that the kids' diapers get changed and everybody is relatively happy. We settle for making sure the lawn gets mowed. We settle for so little. So little. We settle for a night out on the town once in a while. We settle for so little when God has called us to so much. Dear one, he's called you to a big life, a large life, a story greater than the one that you're currently settling for. And part of the reason that we sometimes find ourselves in that small life is that we fail to recognize that we're part of of a team. We are part of the body of Christ doing his work in this world, an eternal work. Now, I remember when I was working outside of the church for a while in the technology business, living in Silicon Valley, planting a church there and working for uh, one of the major technology companies in the heart of, uh, or the heat of, uh, one of the cyclical technology booms that Sil Silicon Valley uh, has. Um, and this was back in the late uh, 1990s. And we were all of, you know, all of the companies down there were going nuts. It was one of those ex times of great expansion. It was a gold rush period, kind of like it is right now. People were working themselves crazy. We couldn't put in enough hours at the job. And then our... In our department, our management came to us and said, oh, by the way, we're going to tack on another assignment. 
Have you ever had that happen where you work? You know, you can't even keep your head above water, and then they come along and they say, hey, but by the way, we want you to do this too. You know? What happens to you? I, well, don't tell me. I'll tell you what I did. I, I started... And you get other people aside together, and you go... You know, and you complain and groan and whine and rebel and all of that stuff. Don't they know we can just barely get done what we were supposed to do now, and they add this to us, and, you know, and somehow or another, because, you know, they were making us, we, we did the job. But uh, I remember so well the night they honored us for having completed that assignment. They had our whole team there. Sue was with me because they invited spouses and took us out to this nice uh, restaurant for dinner, hand us a big old fat bonus check. Yes. And, I'm, and I'm, I was, you know what? That night I wasn't thinking one moment about how hard it was to accomplish <laughs> the job. I was thinking, we did it. We did this. We saved our company millions of dollars. And we didn't think we could. And we didn't think we would have the time. And we, didn't th we thought it was impossible. We did it. And oh, that feeling is so amazing. I remember the last game, I, you know, I, I'm a so-so guy in sports. Uh, well, I won't go into it. I'm not very good. Let's just put it that way. Just put it bluntly. And so, all th but I try. So all through Little League, I, I was the guy who would just stand up there with his eyes closed <laughs> and, you know, hope that you'd walk, right? You know, that the pitcher was bad enough that he'd put you on base. And... Anyway, my very last game, I don't know uh, how old you, you are before you, you age out of Little League, but I was there, and it was my last game. And my dad was one of the coaches, and he was, he, my dad's uh, very, uh, always been very athletic, and he's really into sports and everything. And thank God for putting up with me. He would be out there coaching me, even though I was, you know, what I was. But anyway, I'm up there to bat on my last game, and I don't know what possessed me, but I decided to swing the bat. <laughs> and I connected with the ball, and it went out of the park. Oh, and my dad is chest pains, you know, and he's like, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm like, what do I do? <laughs> you know, so they said, run. <laughs> anyway, I remember nothing about Little League except that. Being part of a team, I don't even know if we won the game, but being part of a team and contributing, you know, for really for the first time. I mean, it's an amazing feeling. And God has called us to be part of his body doing amazing things in this world. And someday when we stand before him in heaven, you know what? We won't remember one thing about the challenges and trials and testings that we went through, all we will be remembering, and we won't even be caring about the gold streets and the pearly gates and who knows, mansions, whatever else comes along with it. All we'll be thinking about is, we did it! Look at all these people that populate heaven because God used us. I can't, I never thought it was possible that that joker who lived next door to me could make it into heaven, but there he is. We did it. That's all that's going to be in our hearts. 
Dear ones, what are we going to do with our one and only lives? Are we going to spend it on television? On parties? On even raising kids, as wonderful as that is, are we going to spend it all in such a small way? We have one life. Let's live it as God has called us to live it. This verse in Ephesians chapter 16 talks about the body of Christ and how we are fit together. And um, that term fit together, uh, joined together, is a word that comes out of the construction trade. And it's like the contractor is selecting his materials. And so he's selecting materials that will go together well, that will um, you know, be strong when they're, when they're assembled, will uh, match one another. You know, some of you have been in the Encounter Auditorium next door, and I was working on that backdrop that's back there, and um, went to the lumber yard, and even though I knew it was going to be distressed lumber and we really wanted it to look bad, I still wanted it to look bad in a good way, you know what I mean? And so I'm at the lumber yard, and I picked out every single board on purpose, and I'm looking and make sure it's straight and checking the grain, and, you know, I wanted things to go together well. And that's what this is about. It says, that, it says that God has fit us together. Another way to think about it is that if you ever watch somebody you know, build a wall, a, a mason, a bricklayer building a wall or a chimney or something like that, and they're putting bricks together or stone together or tiles together, they make sure that they get the right ones to, to go together so there's no gaps in between, that the, there's a smooth flow of color and design that it goes together, that it fits well. God has done that with you and me. In his body, he has selected us. We've already talked about that some, but he has selected us so that we fit together. You know, sometimes I, I, I Sue and I, we oversee a number of pastors, and sometimes I get, in fact, recently just got a call from one of the guys who's saying, he said, you know, Randy, I just can't find anybody in my church um, mature enough to serve on our church council in Foursquare Churches. That's the group that, you know, oversees the, the management of the financial resources. I just can't find anybody that I can really come on. The Lord of the church has somehow left you out. Somehow he forgot that you needed that. Somehow the Lord of the church has not provided the resources that he needs for that church to survive. I don't think so. I think perhaps you're, you've lost sight of something. That God has chosen us and matched us to fit together and may not fit the way that we thought, but we fit and we fit together. There's no gaps in his design. He has a specific role for each one of us to play. The next thing that we see in this passage is not only are we fit together, but we, have, we are knit together. Now the fitting, God does. The knitting, we do. That word knit together means to, literally to drive together. I used the illustration a moment ago about a mason or bricklayer. How many of you have ever seen anybody work in that trade? Some of you. 
Well, they take these bricks and they take a trowel and they scoop out some mortar and they put the mortar down. That's going to be the thing that ad adheres the brick to, to the other bricks. And so they'll take the trowel, lay out some mortar, they'll put the brick into the mortar. But it's not complete and it's not going to be strong and it's not going to work until they do one other thing. And that is to take the, the butt end of the trowel, the handle end of the trowel, and tap the brick into place. It's that force that causes it to be driven into the mortar so that it adheres. There's strength there. And God has caused us to be fit together, but it's not until we <clears throat> press into one another, not until we are willing to squeeze into our spot and adhere there that we're going to find that there's the strength and the cohesiveness that God intends. I had a guy email, this, uh, email me this week asking, Pastor, what do I got to do to make myself available to serve on the worship team, or one of the worship teams? Now, I, I don't know him well, but I know him well enough to know that wasn't driven by pride or arrogance. And there was great risk involved in writing me that email because I could say to him, well, who are you? I could say, we don't need you. I could say, well, are you good enough? I could, you know, all of those things. And he's exposing himself to all of that. But he was doing the thing of pressing in and relatively new to our congregation and realizing that, hey, look, I've got a role to play. God has gifted me and I'm not going to be willing to just have a place where I fit, but I'm going to press into it. Amen. Fit together and knit together. It also says we are effective together. It talks about the effective working. That word effective in the original language means energy or efficiency. And uh, so in one sense, it's saying that when we work together, when we serve together as the body of Christ, the, the power of Jesus is on display in a way that it isn't when we don't. But it also means that when I am serving the Lord in concert with you, when I am fulfilling my place in the body of Christ, it is energizing to me. And we often think, oh boy, here's another obligation, another responsibility. Now I got to, along with every other club and, and team that my kids are involved in, now I got to also serve down there at that church. <laughs> and we think it'll deplete something. It, pull, it you know, takes something away from us. Because so many of the other things that we do in life are like that. But the Bible says when I'm serving out of my design, the one who designed me, it energizes me. It adds to me. I am increased by that. Not diminished. Not decreased. Finally, it says not only, I don't know, did I, I didn't keep up very well here, so fit together, knit together. We are effective together. And then it also says we grow together. We grow together. Now that word growth there means increase of that which lives naturally or spiritually. It's talking not just about expanding in size, but expanding in life. That there's a living growth that's happening. Just because things are increasing in size 
I'll just use a church as an example. Just because a church is getting bigger or has more money or larger facilities, just because there's more stuff going on, that's not necessarily the same thing. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not, it's not a one-to-one uh, comparison there. But when the church is serving as the Lord has caused us and called us to serve together as his body, there is increase of life. There, the things that are living, the things that, are, that really matter are increasing. There is not only an increase in things that are ac- accomplished. You know, we served together in sending a team to Nicaragua uh, this past summer, and lots of stuff, wonderful things happened external to us. There was fruit that was born external to us, external fruit that we rejoice in that will uh, be uh, eternal. But not only is that produced, not only is there growth in external things, but there's growth internally as well. That the lives of the men and women who went there on our behalf to serve, they, they saw fruit outside of themselves, but they saw fruit inside of themselves as well. Growth in every way is what I'm trying to say. The Bible says that when we, his body, function as his body, there is growth in every way. Growth in material prosperity, growth in wisdom, growth in discernment, growth in joy, growth in peace, growth in fellowship. On and on I could go. It sounds pretty good to me. This is recording number 11124 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, September 28, 2014. This is the fourth message in a series by Randy Bolt titled, It's Not About Us. This message is titled, Convince. Doing Church as a Team.